Let's bow our heads and pray for elimination before the scriptures are read. Dear Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. The first reading is on page 15, Genesis 21, 1-7. The Lord visited Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears with laughter over me, everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now turn to page 1008 for Hebrews 11, 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as a good deed were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The word of God for the people of God. You know, sometimes when whoever's doing the children message asks about sin, they, they usually don't say, they're not going to confess anything, but they also kind of have a look in their eyes like snitches get stitches, so... They also know some companions. We're not sharing anything on anyone. Well, we continue um, making our way through Hebrews 11, uh, where we have examples of what faith looks like. So we're, we're looking at each one of these personalities that show us what faith in action looks like, and especially faith in the future that God has promised, not just faith looking back on something that is done, but trusting God's word for the future. When we get to Sarah, and there's part of us that says, she's an example of faith, right? Because we remember the story. She laughed. Didn't she laugh in disbelief? And isn't faith supposed to be just really holding firm and trusting that whatever, 100% with with all of your heart that something's going to happen. So I'm, I'm so grateful that uh, the writer of Hebrews has given us this picture of faith because I think we will see that this was well, kind of a relief to see what faith looks like rather than what we're told it ought to look like. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see three things. We're going to see um, that faith is... Not always an immediate 100%. It's not the amount of faith that we have. Uh, we're going to see that what's important is who that faith is in. And we're going to see what God can do with faith. 
So um, we, we hear the story um, in Genesis 18. You might remember these three men come to Abraham and he has already been promised a son. And they say, uh, your wife about this time next year is going to have a son. And Sarah hears it inside the tent and laughs. Someone as old as I am can, can have a child. Is that really going to happen? And so she laughs in disbelief. And then they come back and say, um, I, I'm, you know, why is she laughing? Can't God do anything? And she, she was, says she wasn't laughing. But she was. And so she, she has this disbelief. And, and so I'm, I'm going to say, well, what part did she play in this? Did she really have faith? And yet we hear that she does. She's an example of faith. She does come to faith uh, trusting um, she has the child. And this, this laughter of disbelief, can this actually happen, becomes laughter of joy and laughter of celebration. But what's interesting is she's not the only one who laughed at the idea. In the chapter before that, in Genesis 17, which I'm not sure we notice quite as much when Abraham, what he has done as he has trusted God and left the land he was in, as we talked about last week. And he, he kind of has faith, but you'll remember Abraham had his doubts. He didn't trust that God would be with him. And so he lies about his relationship with Sarah. Um, he, he says she's my sister. And so he's not showing perfect, robust, 100% faith. And not only that, he kind of gives up on God actually doing this and says, well, maybe I need to take things in my own hand and decides that he is going to um, have um, a wife by one of the, uh, have a child by one of the servants. And so he has Ishmael. And God, after Ishmael comes and says, no, you're going to have a son through your wife, Sarah. And Abraham's response is, he laughs. Can someone as old as we are actually have children? And yet he also believes. His laughter becomes um, faith. And uh, so we, we see that there's this idea that, that I think that we have been hit with, the idea that what really matters is how much faith you have. And so there are some absolute, absolute blasphemous people pretending to be pastors who promise wealth and solutions to problems and healing if you believe enough. And so they put all the pressure on the one who believes and says that, well, if this doesn't happen, if you didn't send enough money trusting, you just didn't believe enough. It's your fault. Absolutely not a biblical idea. There's nowhere in the scripture that it talks about the amount of faith you have to have. What's important is that you have faith and who you have that faith in. So even Jesus, when the disciples say, God, increase our faith, he says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, it moves mountains. In other words, it's, it's not, we don't have some kind of faith scale that you've got to get up to 10 on. And, and when a father is, says, son needs healing, he comes and, and Jesus uh, confronts him and he says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Like all of us, there's belief mixed with unbelief. There's belief mixed with doubts and questions. And I would say that anybody who truly understands the gospel probably initially responded with laughter of disbelief. 
I, 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 I'm not sure that we truly understand what's offered to us if we haven't thought it's incredible. You mean to tell me that someone could do the lousy things and had the lousy thoughts in my heart and have done the things to other people and Jesus loves me enough to die on the cross that he would wash away all of that guilt and remove it and bring me into his own without saying, you have to do your part. You have to do something. You have to do some sort of work to add to it. You mean this is completely free and someone just fully out of grace could be forgiven. I don't think if we don't initially have that sense of, I, this is too good to be true. Surely God helps those who help themselves. Surely I have to do something to contribute to it. Because if, if we're not, I don't know if we understand the full weight of what is being given to us. That we, we've been given all of this glory and forgiveness out of sheer grace and freedom. So the, the initial response for most people who at least understand that and not the idea that, no, I just have to work harder is... That's too good to believe truth. That's wonderful. We should be laughing at each other with the idea that we're going to have eternity and glory without sin. That should make us giggle occasionally. I know we're Presbyterians. We don't do that in a pew. But, you know, Sunday school, that's fine. Go ahead for it. Can I suggest that maybe one of the reasons we don't laugh at the claim and the promise is because deep down we think God maybe just owes it to us. Maybe we don't understand grace because, well, of course God would forgive me. Of course I would go to heaven. Now, there's some other people I would laugh at the idea of them getting, but, but for me, and if we don't have this sense that we're going to sing Amazing Grace, understanding that it is almost unbelievable that I could be brought in, if we don't have that idea, then we're still clinging to the idea that I'm bringing something to the table, that I'm contributing something, or maybe I'm not quite bad enough to really need that grace. It should bring us to a moment of doubt. Could this really be? It should be incredible. Not the amount of faith we have. It is who we place that faith in. Let me, let me give you... Um, a picture of what this might look like. Say you're, you're, you're on a cruise ship, and the cruise ship, you know, you, you, is it too soon to, let's say it's not named the Titanic, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's going down, and there's a lifeboat available, and one person, oh, it's a lifeboat, this will be great, it'll save me, gets on the lifeboat, no problem. Another person comes up and says, I don't know, it's really small, the waves are big, I don't think it's going to work, I'm not sure it's going to hold me, I just, I'm not sure I can trust this, and still gets in. Which of those two people are saved? Both. It's not the faith, it's not the amount. If it's enough faith to get in the lifeboat, the lifeboat is what saves, not the amount that can be added. So, if that is what faith is like, if it's, if, if faith is like Sarah, that we laugh, that we I'm not sure this is, then the church above all places should be somewhere where you are safe to come in with your questions and your doubts and your struggles, where you come and you say, you know, I believe this, I'm trusting it, but man, I look at my life and I'm just not sure. This should be a place where that you never hear, don't ask that, just believe. That's not true faith. And so we come 
Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Sarah also shows us not just that faith, true faith, is a laughter of doubt that moves to a laughter of joy and um, probably a lot of back and forth, but it's not only uh, laughter and doubt, but it's a, it's a faith that's not in it ourselves. I, I think if you've watched enough movies, enough stories, if you've kind of gotten the cultural narrative, if you have the word faith and trust and believe, I think there's a temptation to say, believe in yourself, trust in yourself, follow your heart. I mean, that's the thing, the doctrine we are bombarded with. That's the narrative of so many stories. And I, I tried to think of a movie, but I realized if I shared any movie show, it would date me so bad. So you just think of, you know, the person who doesn't have all the skills and the ability, and, but they believe in themselves and they trust in themselves enough. And because they have enough confidence and belief, they, they, they win the day and you get the applause. And there's Sarah. It's a culture where if men have large flocks and lots of people under them and lots of wealth, they are successful and good. And a culture where women, if they have many children and a large family that's strong and doing well, they are doing good. And it's apparent to everyone that Abraham's wife is a failure. And she's past the point of any hope of being anything more than a failure. And so when Sarah hears the promise in Genesis, she laughs, not because she's saying, can God really do anything? But because she says, look at me. I'm, I'm weak. I'm beyond hope. This, this can't happen. Which is a good time to start believing in God. To start trusting in God is when you give up and despair of trusting in your own strength, in your own self. That is when faith reminds us we look to the one who is strong because we can deceive ourselves into thinking we have ability and we're strong and we can do it. That, that is, well, let me give you an example. When I first moved here, I ran my first 5K. I think the Rotary Club put it on around Heritage Day. I realized that if you're in the age group and there's two of you running and there's three medals given, you're guaranteed a medal if you get across that finish line. Anyway, I, uh, I, I ran and there were a lot of runners. You know, we got a lot of runners in the church. Um, and so I, I kind of built up and got to the point, actually, I've run the St. Jude Marathon a few times. Remember, we're talking about belief and faith. So I ran, usually when I say that, people look at my belly and they say, oh, you mean the half marathon, right? But, but I actually did the full marathon. And what I noticed was I'd run the half marathon the year before. And, um, you know, I was so proud then. And then when you run the longest distance at a race, I go and, I, I, you know, if I'm not running the longest distance, I, well, if I run the longest distance, I'm kind of smug. You know, they're breaking off and I'm doing the hard bit. I'm going, you know, um, the deserted path of the marathon runners and all the other people are partying and going the half marathon. And let me just say, you can kind of look down your nose on those people. You know, I'm, I'm going the full thing. Now, granted, the last three miles look like a zombie apocalypse. It's not pretty, but I get across. But I just look down on anybody else who's... If you have a standard you meet for yourself, 
If you say, I'm here, I can do this, and you meet it, you trust yourself. I'm strong, I can do this, I know what's going on. And then you hear about some freak running a 50-mile race in the, river, in, the, in the wilderness or a 75-mile track through the things, and you just feel like a wimp. And then you get to a point you hadn't run in a while, and it's like, oh, man, I don't know, half marathon would kill me at this point. In other words, you get your standard, and I feel really good, and I feel self-righteous over anybody else. But there's another standard, and you just, you despair. You give up. There's no way I could do that. Religion's like that. We set a standard. If I'm a good person and I don't do these things, I don't dance, I don't go to R-rated movies for some folks, uh, I, I, or for, for our temptation is if I have my theology right, we're good. For other people, it's if I'm, if I'm doing this and I'm really emotional, it's good. we set our own standards for what it means to be religious. And if we're meeting that standard, I'm good, and those other people, I'm not sure they really have Jesus. Or we look at people not in the church and think, you know, I've got it together. But, but it's always looking at our own self and our own strength. The Puritan John Owen said, mortification, which means killing sin, getting rid of the bad in our life, improving our life, self-improvement. He says this self-improvement from a self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention and to the end of self-righteousness is the soul and substance of all false religion in the world. In other words... I make my own standard and my own strength and my own ways to meet that standard. And then I think I'm saved, I'm justified, I'm good. And anyone who doesn't meet my standard, they're just not up to it like I am. And that is self-righteousness. It's not faith. It's trusting in yourself. And what a blessing it is when God brings you to your end of your rope and shows you you need him. That you don't meet the standard. You can't reach the law. That, that there's aspects that we think we're doing good, but if we examine our hearts, we realize all of us fail to meet the standard. And when we despair of ourselves, when we despair of our own strength, when we say, look at me. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can bring into this. There's nothing in me that's going to earn this. It's then that I stop having trust in myself. Even trust in myself dressed up in religious garb but it's trust in him and trust in his promise that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that he came to die for sinners. And when we look at him and we place our trust in him rather than ourselves is that we receive the blessings, we trust his promise and we do away with self-righteousness and we receive the blessings of salvation in him. And then we see the wonders of what God does even with a little bit of frail faith. Through one man, as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven, as many as innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. He fulfilled the promise. Abraham, count the stars if you're able. You'll have more children than these. And she trusts. And through her trust and through Abraham's trust, he blesses it and he brings them a child and he brings nations and he, he brings a nation, he brings people and he fulfills that throughout the generations even to the point that I am looking out on part of the fulfillment of that promise as I see you. He does what he says he will do. That is what faith is. It's, it's not that it has to be a certain amount. 
It's not looking and believing that I'm good enough and I can do this and I have the confidence to do it, but it's looking at him and trusting his promises. And that's worked out still for us every day. And it's no more easy to believe in ourselves than for Sarah. We feel at times like our world is falling apart. And we cling with the smallest bit of faith. I am with you always. Things hit us that we have to ask. Is any of this making sense? None, none of this is, is what I would picture. How, how, and all we can do is just wonder and in our confusion to some way grasp the belief that all things work for good. And with just a little bit of faith with, mixed with questions and doubt, we look at the circumstances of our life and trust that it is. We encourage one another with this. And, and when we have loved ones who we're giving the good news and the truth of the gospel and we're sharing wisdom and they turn away from that and their hearts are as hard as a stone, we cling to this promise. His word will not return to him empty. We look at the, the suffering and the difficulties around us and the things that we feel that we are called to do and we reach out to help others and we cling to this, this promise with fail, frail and little faith. And we have to just laugh. He said, even greater things than these you will do. Our Savior said that. And when we see churches around us closing, declining, turning away from the truth of Scripture, losing influence in society, and it feels like the church is on its last leg, we still hold to this promise that the gates of hell will not stand against us. Come with your doubts. Come with your questions. Come with your unbelief and believe, even in the midst of laughter, and trust him because he who promised is faithful. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.